Hi, welcome to Matters of the Heart and Soul. I'm your host, Janie Charlotte. Matters of the Heart and Soul is a podcast to raise awareness and awaken humanity to all that is within. We want to be a beacon of light on your life journey. Hi, welcome to Matters of the Heart and Soul podcast. This is Janie Charlo, your host, and I'm co-hosting with Russell Bruce today. Hello, everyone. And we are so excited about today's episode, um, Love and Relationships with Mary Jo Rapini. Welcome, Mary Jo. Oh, I'm so glad to be with you guys. Yeah, I'm so excited um, to have you here. This is this is another manifestation. I keep saying that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, so, I feel really blessed. Yeah. So Mary Jo is a psychotherapist specializing in intimacy, sex, and relationships. Um, she has a private practice out in Houston, Texas. Mary Jo has appeared on the Steve Harvey Show, Dr. Oz, The Today Show, Nightline, Dateline, Montel, and uh, two seasons of the TLC series, Big Medicine. Um, she was also featured in a Discovery Channel show about near-death experiences. Uh, locally, she appears on the KRIV Fox 26 in Houston with her own segment on Mind, Body, and Soul with Mary Jo on Saturday mornings um, and Relationship Challenge. Um, she's also a contributing expert for a few magazines, including uh, Cosmopolitan Magazine, Women's Health, among many, many others. So Mary Jo, it is really a pleasure. Well, thank you. It's just wonderful having you got to be able to talk to you guys and just, um, you know, talk about relationships and how important they are. And, you know, I think now with the pandemic, we're seeing that really come to fruition. Like there's, you know, you can really look at the losses and realize the impact how we love and who we love has on our whole being. Absolutely. And um, I remember meeting you at a conference. It was an obesity conference. And um, I remember just hearing you speak on uh, sex before and after weight loss. And that's, you know, you just don't think about those things, how that affects relationships. But your energy was amazing. And it was just, it was just great. So I just, I'm just so happy to have you on our podcast. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, I remember that fateful day. And then it was like, I don't want to leave. Like, let's go out later. Yeah. I, you know, we got to meet up after the talk. And it was just, you know, when you find someone that you have a connection with it, it's just really just so incredible, the energy that comes from that. So I remember very well, Janie. Yeah. Yeah. So let's jump right into it. Uh, like I said, I've done some research of your work, which I think is magnificent. And one of the well, th- thanks, Russell. Yes, definitely. Uh, one of the things that stood out to me most recently, and I'd like to dive into that one real quick. What do you feel are the added benefits to the current COVID situation? How is that impacting dating and relationships? Well, I'm really glad you asked that because I think I have a lot of clients coming in who are just like, um, they're very down about it. And like, now it's impossible. Like I've had postponed my dating life. I feel lonely and it's not the same. And I'm like, actually your dating life 
could not be in a better position right now. I mean, I think the opportunity to quit swiping and looking for people that you can hook up physically with and instead start really talking um, in our in our parents' age and maybe our grandparents' age, we used to hear their stories about courting. And, you know, you may not understand what that is now, and I'm not saying I grew up with it, but at the same time, it's having the time to get to know a person um, intellectually, spiritually, emotionally, and unfortunately, many of the dating apps don't really promote that. They promote more physically you know, do I like someone? Am I attracted? Do we have chemistry? But anybody in a long-term relationship knows that those things don't really matter. That's not what holds a relationship together. What holds it together are all the things that you find out underneath. Yeah. Um, you know, like what the person values and how they how they um, get along with their parents. How did they grow up? And you know, and how does that align with your life and your experiences? So I think actually that this could be a really good time for dating. Good stuff. Yeah. So if this is a good time for dating and, you know, you have some people who are kind of rediscovering their, their partner, their spouse or, you know, whoever they're dating, what are some of the tips? Like, what should they be doing? They're in a house together all day long. Mm-hmm. You know, what should they be doing versus going in separate rooms and kind of going into the, their own little world on their phone or their, you know, device? What should they be doing? Well, I think if it's with someone you're monogamous with and someone you've been with a long time and you find yourself in quarantine with them, you know, first of all, you're going to have to give each other space because what makes a relationship thrive is for each partner to be able to feel like they have a space they can go to or retreat to. And many couples are finding that they're working together now. And, you know, you're used to being with your partner after they get done with work, but you're not used to your partner working side by side with you. So I think little things like setting up boundaries within the, within your dwelling where you're staying, like, you know, for example, I'm going to work in here, you can work in here, and then focusing on setting an intention. You know, we're going to meet up for lunch, and we're going to meet up for dinner. So you have something to look forward to. And, you know, sharing those responsibilities. I, I know my husband and I are not used to being together and working in the home. So we're really making a practice of setting an intention in the beginning of the day, which room are you going to be in? Because it depends who has podcasts or conference calls. He's in medicine right. and telemedicine, how that's going to work. And I'm Zooming, so we need to really <laughs> respect each other's space. And then, you know, we're all grieving what's going on right now. In our own way, men grieve very differently than women do. And I think for women, many times, we need to be alone, we need to cry, we need to get in that space and being allowed to get in there without your partner feeling helpless or hopeless, like they have to fix it, is going to be very important. It is now, depending on what COVID is doing in your city, like in New York, I'm 
teleconferencing um, with many patients there who are really in the deep stages of grief and allowing each partner to express that in the way they need to. Yeah. And I, I think little things like remembering that how you deal with grief, you may have grown up in a family that went to see funerals that actually saw open caskets and you can no longer do that. Like funerals are completely different. And so you might've grieved in a very open, honest, um, candid way. Your partner may have grew up in a home where you never attended that kind of stuff. And once they were dead, people were just kind of whisked away. And so they may, in this kind of environment, they may feel more comfortable with the concept that, you know, people are dying and, you know, maybe three or four people can go to the funeral. That may, that may not affect them as badly. So I think understanding and respecting how your partner deals with all of this is going to be really important. And if you're together, if you're monogamous, sex is completely okay. I mean, the only, um, this virus is transferred in the saliva as well as, you know, like any kind of kissing. So if you're dating someone new and you happen to find yourself in quarantine with them, I would stay away from kissing them. As far as we know, it is not in the vaginal secretions or the sperm, but it is in the um, bowel movements. So anything around the anus is going to be a possible, um, you know, something you don't want to do during this time, because especially if you don't know where your partner has been. That, so that, I think that information, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, getting that information <laughs> because a lot of people engage in, in anal sex and oral sex. And I think just just being aware of that. If it's someone you've been with forever, you can just carry on. You know, although I think all my couples and I know my husband and I, he still goes in to the medical center to mm -hmm. um for conferences, I am a little bit more concerned and nervous about it. Yeah. So there's a lot of things I don't have to do. I can wait. Yeah. And I think he feels the same way. We, you know, sex is one part of intimacy, but there's five whole other areas of intimacy that we can explore and, and really take advantage of that may make our relationship even closer. Mary Jo, you go deep. So it's like, okay, I pull those other questions back out that I said I wasn't going to ask. Well, you know, and you guys, you guys can edit what you want, but I think so, you know, I've always thought sex is very sacred. And it to is. me, it I would never have married someone that I didn't think I had a, I had a sacred, that they didn't honor it. I think when I talk about cheating, this is one of the reasons that it affects me so deeply. Is it's one thing if you have sex, just, you know, your whatever recreational sex you exactly. have. But if you have, when you have a spiritual sexual experience with this person and they know you look at it like that and then they tell you it meant nothing, like it was just a one night thing. That's even more appalling to me. I hope if my husband would ever cheat that he would never say it didn't mean anything. 
because I think that is the deepest slap in the face. And how, unless how you could ever even say that, I don't understand. So I don't know. Wow. The, the, I'm just being honest with no, you. Yeah, I, no, I love, that's I what I love, I love about honesty. you. <laughs> Well, thank you. That's so, good. So question. So being that we're on the topic of sex, so it, historically it seems as if men have been more expressive physically, like especially now when it seems like a culture is declining, that they become less expressive as far as like writing letters and poetry and being vulnerable through music and things of that nature. What mm-hmm. what can we do as men to open up more to women? Because it seems like these days that men have kind of shut down. Yeah, well, and I have to say, I don't blame them, Russell. I mean, I, I think our um, boundaries and I think, you know, so much of how men are is socialized when they're boys. And I... And I think everybody does it. I think the moms do it. I think the dads do it. And I think other guys do it. Like if there's a really sensitive boy, he's made fun of. And he's basically taught to stuff that stuff back inside him. Mm. And that that is not okay for him to explain or talk about it. So many times with my couples, what I'll find is because women are raised to think about men as being strong and virile and stoic. And even though women now will say, well, I want him to be expressive. I want him to be sensitive. Women don't really know how to handle it when it happens. Like when a guy really starts crying or when someone you, a man you love appears to be vulnerable and open and like he's so wrapped in grief that he can't he can't function almost like he can't be her strong idea of a man she gets upset and she gets upset especially if he can't just wipe it off his face and go on with it and I think that not only do women do that to men but I think guys do that to men like guys can't be vulnerable with other guys True. and they're competitive I mean basically there's a competition Mm -hmm. and if a guy says man like I just you know last night I went to bed and I just started bawling because I feel so terrible about what's going on they're like man you need a drink or you need to go get laid or there's this whole idea oh. of yeah. of what people need. Mm, that's interesting. Wow, that's good advice. So, how do? So, what are some tips for them to start? Like, where do they start? Are well, and I, yeah, I guess I didn't answer all that. I, you know, I think the big thing to start is for guys to understand that self awareness is worth its weight in gold. Self awareness and learning who you are, and that. No one can give you that. You develop that within yourself. Like if you're self-aware, you are not going to be happy. Everybody wants to be happy, Mm. but that's the craziest concept. Whoever started that, if, if you're happy, you're foolish. Like if you're happy all the time, what is that? What even, 
I mean, light happiness means moments of joy. And the only way you can experience moments of joy is if you have a self-awareness of what it feels to have moments of sorrow and moments of death, like loss. And unless a guy can get in touch with what that feels like, instead of just saying, yeah, I was really hurt over it. What does that even mean? Like when men come into therapy, I ask them how something felt. They'll go, it felt bad. And I'm like, describe that. What? And they're like, you know, bad. And I'm like, no, I, I want to know what yeah. bad feels like for you. Many times they don't know. And their wife will or a girlfriend will sit there and, and explain to me what their bad is. Mm. And I'm, just, I'm in awe. I'm like, yeah. you know, what is wrong with this? I wonder sometimes if, if we've created or we've encouraged men to be so closed up that they allow, that they get with a woman so she can express how they feel. So they don't feel as bad about saying it themselves. Hmm. It's, it's so bizarre. Yeah. I, I don't even. Interesting perspective. Um, I hadn't thought. I'm, I'm very expressive. So I like to talk and I like to talk mm-hmm. about. So I need somebody that yeah. can talk back. <laughs> yeah. 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 But you, a... you want, you want him to act or, or you want to act? What, in, what, what, do you, what did you say? You're very. Oh, expressive. I just said I like to talk. I'm very expressive, like in everything. So I would just want that reciprocated because it's like if you're constantly expressing, expressing, and someone's just looking at you with a dumbfounded face, and you're trying to figure it out. That's at some point you're gonna come to at the end of the road, or right, and then they'll, you know. Yeah. Are you still there? <laughs> yeah, I'm here. Yeah. Yeah. I um I think for and I like that. I I think women our verbal centers are more developed and I think that's easier for us to verbalize it and we have the adjectives that many times um men don't have because they're just not trained that way or they're not socialized that way. I have a lot of um when I suggest men write about how they feel, like just keeping a journal with them, that yep. they really like that. That seems, and a lot of guys will say, well, I'll just write it in my phone. And I'm like, no, I really want you to write it with your hands. And the reason is because when you write something with your hands, like a pen and paper, your brain, the brain chemistry changes and it actually we found that the, the depth that comes out is more emotional than yeah. if you text it in. That's, I think that's part of the reason sometimes when you send a text, you can never, if you've ever tried to be really emotional on a text, you can't. There's just, because we rely so much on how we say things and how we express it on paper. And to gain self-actualization or self-awareness, when men write about how they feel about something, it becomes much deeper. And then I see them start appreciating their feelings so much more. I, I think many times the way 
the reason men aren't emotionally fulfilled in a relationship is because they somehow have given responsibility for the woman to express them emotionally or, and they've done that because they've stayed, they just haven't opened up. Wow. So it's almost like they have to, they have to own it first of all and say, you know, I realize I did this to you. Like I put you in this position where you're now expressing my inner, my inner thoughts, or you're supposed to be, or you feel like you have to, or I rely on you to. And then it's, it's them first owning that. And then them saying, I want my own power back. Let me ask you a question, Mary Jo. Are you saying that, you know, a lot of cases that men who grew up in single parent homes with just their mother, uh, actually looking for their mother and other women. And that's why they probably tend to take a back seat emotionally in those type of conversations. I'm not sure if it's specific to men who grew up in single families, because I think men in general are socialized that way. Russell, I, I Mm -hmm. see it somewhat changing with little boys now, but I think there's a, an embarrassment if, a guy has a son who is effeminate or or more um, more sensitive, and so I'll see, I think he takes it personally, and so he the dad is trying to masculine the boy, and mm-hmm. he starts out, and the mom does too. The mom does because she's not comfortable with what the husband is saying or what she's feeling herself. And mm. so what they do is, is they basically, I think this is where it begins. They begin stuffing their, their ability to express themselves because they learn very early, this isn't okay. Like I shouldn't be this emotional about it. Wow. So I think men in general are socialized to expect or to to think it's masculine to allow women to be more, more emotionally expressive of their feelings. I hope it changes. I really do. I, I, I think men will be so much better if they will have the courage to start becoming more self-aware and doing their own expressing. Yeah, I think relationships would be a whole lot better because if we're if we're if the goal is self-awareness, we're all responsible for our own self and knowing, right. you know, and before getting into a relationship with someone else, you really have to go within your own self and figure out who you are. Right. If if we were really all self-aware, we would have so many so many um, so much less divorce because the number one reason that I hear people getting divorced is they're not happy anymore. And the problem is if you're not getting along with your partner and you're not happy anymore, it's an easy flip to project that on your partner. And it's not the partner's job, right? It's not the partner's job to make you happy. No, it's not your partner's job. In fact, it's not marriage's job. Marriage is really not supposed to make you happy. You really got to give up this whole concept of I want to be happy. 
Yeah. I, I think we've just taken it way too far. If people just said, I want to live a good life where I feel satisfied with what I'm giving out and I feel like what I do matters, I think that would be so much healthier than saying, I want to be happy. Because if you want to be happy, you're going to look for a comfort way of living. And self-actualization or self-awareness will not necessarily make you comfortable. Yeah. In fact, there may be parts you find out that you're like, oh, man, I do not like the way I am with this. (laughs) This is not what I want. So with that said, what do you think are some of the key components to having a healthy relationship or marriage? Well, I think a big one is understanding that both of you are flawed. I think learning learning the concept of imperfections and that when you see your partner, you know, in the beginning stage, I think you see your partner, you put them on a pedestal. And that's good in a way, like to appreciate what they have, but to understand as good as that is, there's going to be times when, when it's not good. And you're going to see the opposite of that. So basically, marriage or any kind of a healthy relationship is when you see both sides, but you appreciate their good side more. Mm. And you, and because you appreciate it, a you know, just doing that act psychologically will start making the person do it more. Like if I want anybody to do something more, like I see, wow, that is a really positive trait. Let's say generosity. Then I will appreciate all areas of their generosity, their generosity sexually, their generosity with money, their generosity with their time, their generosity with their words, their affirmations, whatever area that is, if I appreciate it, I will see more of it. Mm-hmm. So I think appreciation and I think honesty. Yes. I think the trust of that your partner is going to be honest with you is really important. But when I say honest, I, I think a lot of couples are cruel with their honesty. Like they'll say things and they'll, they're, they'll say, well, I was just being honest, but honest, being honest has no part of being cruel. You can be very honest and it isn't cruel. Yeah. I think you can say everything in love, everything you want yes. to be said in love. Yeah. Um, so what are some relationship killers then Mary Jo? Like what should we absolutely not be doing? <laughs> I think the number one relationship killer is a lack of boundaries, a lack of respect. You'll see it come out in those two ways. I have never seen a relationship make it if someone does not have good boundaries. Yeah. It, it will destroy it. And the way you know that is if the sooner you can get into their attachment style, like are they avoidant, are they clingy, needy, or are they stable? I, I would work on the attachment style. If, I, if something happened to my husband and I had to start dating again, my mm-hmm. number one thing that I would start looking at, I'd want to know who their parents were. I would want to meet them as soon as I could. I would want to, um, to understand how they feel about their parents. That would be my number one thing. Yeah. 
And because that kind of sets the precedence for what you're going to expect. If they don't like their parents, a man, I would run away from that person. Because <laughs> even if they have a good reason to not like their parents, they that kind of a partner would scare me. Yeah, there's like some maybe unhealed wounds or issues going on. Yeah, there's some really deep stuff. And you're going to see it come out because basically the way we're raised is our default. So in other words, part of the reason you see a lot of panic right now is those people came, the people that feel panic came to families where there came up through families where there was a real um, value of scarcity. And mm -hmm. so they, when you are raised with scarcity, you get scared. Like yeah. there's, you have this idea with love too and relationships, there's only so much to go around. And if somebody has like, let's say you came from a scarcity model and you marry someone who has a lot of friends or who donates a lot of money, that person, that partner is not going to be able to live with you because they're constant. They come from a world that there's, you know, if you give that much love to your friends, then I'm not going to get enough. And they're going to be jealous and possessive and everything else. Yeah, that makes sense. So, so you definitely want to live in abundance in all areas, right? I, well, I think so, except I do think that works, Russell. I love that word, but then they need really strong boundaries. If they won't protect what they value, then I, then I probably wouldn't get involved in that relationship either. Because told, there's people that like have, they just absolutely have no boundaries. And they're the kind that usually develop sex addictions. They have, they're the ones that many times can have one night stands because they like, they, they don't have good, strong boundaries. Mm. Like they don't know what is sacred. That is so true. I totally agree with that. So question. So since women's liber <clears throat> women's liberation and it seems like everything's changing where women are coming back into their power mm -hmm. it's like the gender roles have kind of moved into this gray area mm -hmm. like like for example i cook but i don't cook trying to be feminine or anything like that i cook because i love to eat good food so right I'm an amazing cook and a lot of times i find myself being able to cook better than my mate right right so, how do you uh, see the gender roles, like the traditional roles of the woman just staying at home, raising the children and not working? Now she's out mm -hmm. working, doesn't really have time to cook and do things. And the, the man's at home, you know, just as much as she is taking care of the kids. How do you see that impact in relationships? Well, I, you know, it just depends on the family. I think women, I, I don't think anybody really thrives in the home 24-7 unless they really love that. There's some people and that just have always wanted to be a stay-at-home parent. And no matter what, that's what they want. Women, when they were able to go to school, have thrived and gotten good educations because I think a lot of women grew up in single homes where they stopped relying on someone to take care of them. And I, I grew up in a dual home where, you know, my parents both worked 
And my dad actually worked nights so he could stay home with us during the day. And then he went to work at night and my mother taught school. So it was non-traditional from the time I was born. They had nine kids and this was a long time ago. And they made that work and they, yet my dad is masculine and my mother feminine. They did what was best for the family. So I, in, a, in my own family with my husband, we take, we don't really take roles. We each do what we're good at. Mm -hmm. I am a better parent than he is with young kids. There was no doubt about it because I am a good disciplinarian. He is not. Those kids would run all <laughs> over him. It was chaos. And so yeah. basically there was no, like that we sit down to delineate roles. And there was, when we said, okay, the kids, I knew, I said, I will do that most of the time. Mm -hmm. And then I worked part-time, he worked full-time so that we could make it. But as far as cooking, he doesn't cook. So I have to cook, but I'm a terrible cook. So we <laughs> eat out a lot. Yeah. I, I think what works best for couples with that is not to have defined roles of yeah. what's masculine or feminine, but for the couple to work it out. The problem with that is many times that couple's parents will get in the way with that. And I have seen parents ruin marriages because they, you know, they'll think less of a man who stays home with the kids and he'll, they'll continue to harp to their daughter, even though their daughter is happy working mm -hmm. out of the home. So, you know, I caution parents when, and it's more significant like if it's the mother-in-law, the mother-in-law has more power than the father-in-law in ruining a relationship or in make enhancing a relationship of their kids. So I would tell moms, be very careful when your daughter or son marries someone, make sure that you are going to do what is best for that marriage to be successful. Unless it's a, an abusive relationship, if it's if it's a not an abusive relationship and it's and your daughter or son loves that person, then you get on that side and try to embrace them with love as much as you can. I, yeah. I totally agree. I, I like the notion that you know, see a need, fix a need. Like we shouldn't have to wait to ask or tell somebody what to do. Yeah, our defined roles. I think you do have to do what's best for your household and your relationship and your family and your kids um, because where do roles really come from? You know, I think it was, yeah, I think it was just something that people fell into. I think, you so. know, like when, you know, like in the fifties, these women were home and their husbands were offended if their wife worked because it was a, it was more a, um, it seemed to be like a criticism that the guy couldn't provide for her. So it was almost like a macho thing. Yeah. And then, but, but, you know, it would have been fine if the mother, if the woman would have wanted that. But I talked to a lot of older women now who had, who were in that role and they hated it and they were resentful and they gave marriage a terrible name. They might've, that couple might've been married for 70 years, but all but 
all but 10 of it was terrible. And then they raised kids in that. And kids said, I am never going to get married. My parents were married and they were miserable. And I'm not. And so we raised kids in that generation that thought you're either happy together or you get a divorce. And none of that is true. I mean, you either do well together and you're, you're a great friendship and team or you're not. And if you're not, there's like 20 options you can do besides get a divorce. Right. And Mary Jo, I mean, do you think marriage is like, is that um, necessary? Do you feel like couples can thrive in a healthy, loving relationship and not be married? And the reason why I'm saying that is because I believe marriage is sacred. I believe sex is sacred. Um, uh, I believe that it's a spiritual connection. And until Mm -hmm. I could have that spiritual connection and a true walk to God, right? You know? Yes. Then I don't want just a state legal paper saying we're married because we could do everything we need to, you know, as individuals, if we're not in a spiritual growing connection relationship. Yeah, I think marriage is it. You should think a long time about it. But when people say it's just a legal thing, I don't really think they comprehend what marriage is on a really, really deep level, because marriage is more than a legal. In fact, marriage is a committed lifestyle, Right. more than legal. It's like I am taking this person forever and it can it should scare you like yes i i had nightmares the night before i got married <laughs> like okay i what is plan b if this doesn't work yeah. i'm not but you know i i've learned that when couples live together they they think that's like marriage but that isn't anything like marriage when you live together you learn how to be compatible each other's styles and and each other's like, you know, you have chemistry, but you know what you, you each do when each other gets in a mood. But that is nothing like a marriage. A marriage changes with the people. It's meant to be over a over a lifetime. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been seven different wives. I do think if you have children. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I really have. I, yeah, I can't I, tell yeah. you how many times I've changed within my marriage. And because I have been married forever, honestly. I got married really young and I'm still married and I still work on it every day. I've never been one of those people that have thought it would be for life. I kind of get up and commit that day. I'm going to make it really the best I can. I'm going to be the best partner today. And I think my husband does too. It took a special person. But I I think if you're going to have kids, marriage is absolutely the best, um, the best option. But you have to be smart about it. You have to remember that you can't mention divorce. Divorce can never be an option. You have to say when we go off track and we will, we are going to seek help. And then when you seek help, you don't expect the therapist to change you right away. You don't expect things to change. 
you realize, okay, this is a work in progress and I'm going to have to continue to work on it. So in a healthy marriage, there should be, there should be bad months. There should be bad, sometimes they last a year. And rather than the parents telling the kid, you should get a divorce, you should leave them. That's not right. The parents should say, how can I help? I agree. Do, you need, do you need extra money for counseling? Can I take the kids? And the kids should see what true love looks like. Like mommy and daddy are, are arguing in the morning, but at night they're kissing each other. They made up. Because how can we expect kids to go out in the real world and learn how to manage conflict and learn how to get along with someone and how to talk to someone and resolve things when we can't model that? Parents go into a different room, don't say that in front of the kids. Well, you shouldn't really fight in front of kids, but kids should be able to see parents argue and kids should be able to see parents make up. That's very important. They need to. That's good stuff. Very good stuff. Question. What's Mm -hmm. your take on men and even women that can get all the way into their 40s and 50s and never been in a deep, committed relationship or marriage? What's your take on that? Man, Russell, I'm glad you asked that because I'm going to do a YouTube about that. I think well, that's some fear. people just be more prone to single life versus, like you said, it's a, it's a committed lifestyle. Yeah, but if they've never been in a, in a strong relationship, I think it's a fear of intimacy. Mm. There's, a, there's a lot of people who are terrified of being vulnerable. A lot of people have been scarred deeply. And after, like, they, you know, that can happen in your family of origin when you're growing up and you just, you develop a deep fear of it. And those people will have sex. They'll have relationships that maybe last a year, but they'll never, you know, when you get married, that person like sees all of you. It's like every year you peel a new layer off yeah. and they just get to see the rotten, rotten, rotten parts. Yeah. Well, let me tell you, there's a lot of people who don't ever want you to see their rotten parts because they're terrified of their rotten parts. Wow. You can't show your rotten parts if you're afraid of them. So you just keep pushing them down and they come up in your behavior and your actions. And, um, so question, another question. So Mm -hmm. within a relationship, how have you, been able to work around if one of the partners is a narcissist have you found well, a solution or is there no solution you know honestly russell if they're a true narcissist you you have to divorce because there's always an element of abuse and any kind of abuse you know sexual physical or emotional It's mental illness, and you cannot fix that. No amount of love, no amount of negotiating. It just, you can't fix it. And, you know, there's out of, you know, the divorce rate is roughly 40 to 50%. And I think the absolute number that you have to have divorces, like I think the actual divorce rate should be about one-fourth of the population instead of one-half. But in that one-fourth are narcissists and also abusers and addicts because addicts, in a very real Mm. sense, 
become narcissists if they don't recover from their addiction. Because you're, when you're in love with an addict, you're really not in love with the person anymore. You're in love with their vice. Mm. Like you be, you are basically in, you're taking, your partner is whatever vice they're using. If it's alcohol and they're a mean drunk, they might be great. They might be loving. They may answer all your languages of love when they're not drinking. But the minute they have a drink, all of a sudden, the person dictating what kind of love you're going to get is the alcohol, not your partner. That's true. So I think those, I think those type, those populations are in that one fourth that, you know, I just, I'm been, I'm very honest with my clients when I meet them and I see what's going on. They'll say, Mary Jo, is there a chance? And I'm like, no. Wow. No, you gotta, you gotta get out of this one. Can you give our listening audience a clinical definition of what a narcissist is? Because I think it gets used kind of lightly. Yeah, it does. It's a big fad. Actually, <laughs> it's a personality disorder. And you have to, you really have to go to a psychiatrist and they have, um, the MMPI can pick it up, mm-hmm. as can a lot of their Edwards personality profiles. They have a lot of different tests that they give. But a true personality disorder is there with that person since they were a child. Mm-hmm. And so it, it doesn't, someone doesn't just become a narcissist. Our generation are not all narcissistic. The millennials are not a narcissistic. They're self-centered and there is a difference. Mm-hmm. A true narcissist is, has evil intentions. Like they basically don't give a flying flip about you. They never did. What they care about is how they're going to manipulate you to take care of them and their needs and make them look good. Mm. If you stop making a narcissist look good, oh, let me tell you, they will pull out everything. And we kind of see it. If you watch the government right now, you'll get really good glimpses of what true narcissists look like. We've got a couple. And (laughs) I mean, I just watch the news and I'm just like, God, this is. And what scares me about that is because they cannot admit it, because that would be, I mean, that would kill them. They, first of all, they, they use all their mental and emotional energy to push it down that it's true. If you were to really hit them and confront them, they would find a way to hurt you. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. So there's no win with them. Yeah. Wow. Well, um, Mary Jo, <laughs> questions. Um, one, what is one book you would recommend to our listeners? The book I'm reading now, and I really love it, it's a New York bestseller. It's called The Normal Bar. Hmm. It's, it's the surprising secrets of happy couples. I don't really like that word. And what they reveal about creating a new normal in your relationship. Hmm. I really like this book. Good the Normal Because book. I think it's just full of different things you can try in your relationship and also just um, 
it just helps calm you down. Like if you're having difficulties or struggles, it helps you feel, oh my God, like this is normal. Yeah. I, at least it's the majority. So you don't feel alone in your struggles. Yeah. Like, and I'm sh- like, how do you feel about social media in relationships? Has that put a lot of pressure on relationships? It has put a lot of re- uh, pressure on relationships. It's made superficial things more um, seem more important than they are. Yeah. It's, but the good thing about social media is that it's really, it does help you stay connected. And so I wouldn't want to dismantle it. And I mean, I, I like online dating, but you have to be careful with online dating. I know. And, There's, you know, I think there. it's really, it's really created a whole sense of, you know, it's heightened the number of emotional affairs for sure. Oh yeah. I hadn't even thought about that, but that's true. I mean, it's, that's one area. Affairs are very dangerous. Yes. Oh, they are. They're they're really dangerous because they're sneaky and you can be in one and not really know it. You could be a really good person and a good partner, but slip into one. And then it's unless, unless you're really able to take a look at yourself and be, be self-aware, which I keep coming back to because that's like the essence of everything. It is. Um, so with that, with that said, you had some good um, information in reference to why do men and women cheat and what's the difference between the two sexes? Well, you know, I think in my practice, I have as many women who cheat as men. I women. No way, Mary Jo. No. I swear to God. <laughs> I really, I swear to God. I, in all honesty, I think what happens is when when they ask people, do you cheat? Women have more to lose when they admit it, when they're honest. Mm-hmm. If a woman is cheating, you will never know. She tells no one, not her closest confidant. If a guy is cheating, he'll usually tell somebody or he's messy. He leaves the clues out in the open. Wow. It, it's it's despicable for either person, but it's more socially acceptable just because in our generations past, mm-hmm. men used to cheat more because women couldn't get out of the homes. But now women are getting out of the homes and they are in the workforce. And I can tell you, honestly, they cheat as much as men. Mm-hmm. When a woman cheats, she is done with her partner. Wow. Usually. They, she does not love that person anymore. When a guy cheats, he still loves his wife. Mm. Which, I don't know which is, if there's a better or worse. I can't make a judgment on that. Yeah. Cheating is wrong, and it's it's really, it's not only wrong, it's just such a... Um, if I were cheating, I would be so disappointed in my own character. Yeah. It's like a flawed character. And I, you know, only two thirds of my couples that have cheating go on to divorce. But I can tell you, honestly, if my husband cheated, I, my marriage would be over. Mm-hmm. Because I have such a feeling of if you took something 
so important mm -hmm. and you were so careless with it. Um, I just, there just would not be anything I could do to repair that, that I can think of. Yeah. I know maybe I'd get a different kind of God's grace. I don't, I, I admire the people that can work it out. Yeah. I really do. What about I want them to work it out? Yeah. What about those couples who during this quarantine, it has exposed that they shouldn't be together or this is not the person for me or I, you know, this is, this is not what I thought. Like what, what happens there when it, when the exposure comes and it's like, this is not my path. I think when, I think what it's exposing more, Janie, is that it's exposing that there's been a lot of denial in the relationship and a lot of issues that you normally just pushed under the rug. Mm. And if you're not married, I would talk about those issues and use this time to confront them. If you're married and all of a sudden you're having marriage problems, I would say you guys need to start with a tele, um, telecounseling center and start using this time to work on your relationship. Because it most likely what we're seeing a lot of now is there's going to be a lot of couples who finally have time together and are making their relationship stronger. And we're going to have just as many couples who have pushed stuff under the rug forever. They've used alcohol. They've used the vices of eating. And they could still do those in quarantine. But when you're with somebody all the time, you're, you're going to see a lot of conflict yeah. in those relationships. So I would use that as, you know what, we've been pushing issues under the rug forever. And if, especially if I had kids and I was married, I would try to work on that relationship. Yeah. I think a lot of couples are feeling distraught and like they don't like this person they're quarantined with. And for some of these couples, I'm telling them, listen, this is not the time to make a decision. I agree. Because when you're in a crisis, like, do not change another variable. Yeah. You know, try to work together to make it through this. If right. you split now, you never know what, we're all under stress and we're all acting differently. And all of us regress back to how we grew up and watched our parents cope with stress. So if you're lucky and you had good modeling from your parents, like they would do things like call friends, they would try to become a helper in the community, they would journal their thoughts, they would pray together, then you are one lucky couple because your partner grew up in a healthy family. Mm -hmm. But if you were a partner, if, you, if your partner grew up with people who drank when they were stressed, who got mean, who projected rage and anger on others, then you're going to be a very unlucky person stuck with that guy or woman in your house during quarantine. Yeah, that's so, great advice. Well, it's just understanding yeah. that during this time, one of the things that couples need to talk about is how they may, how they cope with stress. Yeah. And what do you remember your parents doing? You know, it's like something as simple as a silent treatment. You know, when couples give each other the silent treatment, yep. 
no nobody does that they learn that that is a learned form of anger yeah it's passive aggressive and you rolling it could be controlling. you cannot act that out yeah. unless you've seen it mentored that and eye rolling you know like when somebody rolls their eyes yeah. that's another form of passive aggressive anger and some parent or mentor modeled that for a child humans don't naturally learn those things wow like you don't come out of the womb rolling your eyes like what the hell that was an experience yeah. like you just don't do that wow and mary joe a part of self-awareness right is sometimes unlearning everything you've been taught um and relearning more healthy behavior patterns you know some people really yes, do a lot I, of work on themselves yes i just did a facebook live on that the other night reparenting yourself yeah. in moments of stress like reparenting we all need to be nurtured and if you didn't have a parent that nurtured you that coped well with stress then how are you going to be expected to know i mean i i think so many times we get angry at our partners and before we talk to them about how did tell me what happened when you guys had crisis or when your mom or dad was mad how did they express it because you know like my husband grew up with a mom who was a rager mm -hmm. she got she would hold stuff in and then just like blow up verbally and then it was over but you know so what happens is he can't stand to hear loud like he doesn't want any fighting. Mm. He doesn't want any ex loud expression. If if we watch a TV show and the couple starts yelling at each other, he's like, I don't like this. Turn that off. Yeah. I'm uncomfortable. And, you know, I never thought to ask him. Like, I didn't know his mother was a rager until after I was in the family. And I'm like, what the hell? Yeah. <laughs> She's crazy with this. And that's all. And everybody to... just accepts it. It's part of who she is, yeah. you know? And um, those are things you really should pay attention to when you're dating. You know, just how yes. family dynamics work for that person because you're marrying the family as well. Exactly. And... That's so important, Janie. And we, <laughs> we just kind of don't go there. We don't, if our, if our parents or if our partners tell us stuff about their parents, we're like, oh man, that was wrong. And then we don't think, you know, how do you think we should do it? Exactly. So, so I have another question here. So what's your take on, you know, you hear people say uh, everybody's not cut out to have kids, right? And mm -hmm. you also see that some people are better off as a boyfriend or a girlfriend versus a husband or a wife. Like they're, right. they're great to date, but you know it's not going to go to that next level. Yes. You know what I mean? I well, I think those are two very honest statements. I don't think every couple's made to have kids, and I don't think they should feel guilty about it. I don't ever think you should try to trap someone into having kids or ever, ever think, marry them thinking they'll change their mind. I, I think when someone tells you, listen, I don't want kids, I would really respect that. Yeah. And I love that question, Russell, because I think a lot of people 
end up getting divorced because they wanted kids. One of them wanted kids and they thought their partner would change their mind. And it's like, believe what they say. If they don't want them, don't make them because then, or I have couples where they ended up having kids. And many times it's the father who didn't really want any. And then he doesn't, you know, engage with the child as much as she wants him to. And she's like, you're not being a good dad. And he, I feel, I feel sympathetic toward him because he'll be honest and he'll say, I, I don't really, I never wanted kids. I love, I love this child, but wow. it's just not my thing. Wow. But you know, I, people do have to be honest with themselves. That's right. That's right. And there's nothing shameful about yeah. that. If you don't want kids, you don't want kids. And there's probably a reason. I mean, if the person wanted to reflect on it and, and he wanted to, he or she wanted to change their mind, there's probably a deep reason why they don't want kids. And going back into their family of origin, we'd probably be able to identify it, mm -hmm. but it might not change their mind yeah. about it. Yeah. So. And parenting is a huge um, job. It, it's nothing you have you can take lightly because you are responsible for molding the minds and hearts of this young child, and you know you have such a big influence on the way they think. That's right, and it's not really a helper in your marriage. I mean, if anything, when you have kids, it's another stressor on your marriage. That's true. I think that the studies show that it's only much later in life that couples who are childless go through a, a period where they regret not having children. Right. And I think many of them do. I don't know if it's a majority, um, but it's, but it is a fair amount of them. Okay. So Mary Jo. Yes. Hello. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, Oh, that's a difference for you. What do you what What do you think oh. about age differences in dating? How does that work? Um, what do you think about that? Cougars. Well, most of the studies say seven years or under is a good amount of time apart. Mm -hmm. Like you can go that far. If you go further than that, it doesn't mean it won't work, but it just you're just out of the research, the statistical realm, because when you change generations, it's, it's harder to be emotionally connected because yeah. that person doesn't share a lot of the experiences that would help increase your emotional connection. That makes sense. And you mean seven apart, either, either direction, younger or older. Yep. Yep. I mean, basically, you're going for someone who still would have shared a lot of the same things going on in society as you did. So they'd have the somewhat of the same um, social shaping you had. Whereas if, let's say you had a boomer and a millennial, <laughs> okay, those two are going to have a completely different concept. They, they've been socialized completely different. Yeah. And unless... Unless they just don't interact on an emotional level at all, it's always going to be unusual. Yeah. That, anything else, Russell? 
I think she's pretty much touched on everything. Yeah. <laughs> everything I could think of. Um, so Mary Jo, today at the time of this podcast, what would you say mm-hmm. is the greatest matter of your heart? And it doesn't have to be relationship um, based or anything like that. Just what is in the center of your heart right now? What is in the center of my heart right now is I am thinking how grateful I am for the helpers, Mm. the people who really are compassionate. And even if that just means they're staying, they're staying home and working on their relationship, making soup or um, thinking about what they're going to do for Easter to bring joy to whatever situation they can. I, I think everyone needs to see, you know, along with something like this pandemic, I think it's really important that we also look for the joy and the blessing because I have no doubt that this pandemic is not random. I sincerely know there is a God and I know he is in this. I feel the same way. So wherever there is God, there is joy and it is, it's coming out of a place of love that we cannot understand. Just our minds just can't comprehend it. Yeah. It's a great opportunity. Exactly. Yeah. So Mary Mm -hmm. Jo, how can our listeners find you? How can they set up an appointment with you? How can they reach out to you for any relationship advice or uh, therapy sessions, anything like that? Oh, thank you for asking. Well, the, the best way is probably by going to my website, which is maryjorapini.com. They can get on my YouTube channel, Reaction Reset. They can download homework um, from my page and do complete the homework with their partner. That will help them. I'm on Twitter and Instagram um, at Mary Jo Rapini and on Facebook, Mary Jo Rapini LPC. And um, I can't think of anything else, but awesome. That's. Well, I just want to say um, I really appreciate um, all the light that you put out, um, everything you're doing just to help this world. Um, I think relationships is the basis of everything we do. I mean, we have to deal with people at our jobs, at home, friends. I mean, just everything is is really the building blocks of who we are. And so I think everything that you do and have done throughout the years has just been amazing. And I just love the light and I love your energy and I love everything you stand for. (laughs) Well, thank you, Janie. I mean, I I just feel like in so many ways, um, you and I were a God connection. And I just (laughs) great. I write it in my book. I just am. I'm just so grateful. So, and I, it's so fitting that we would talk the three of us on Good Friday, exactly, and before the Easter weekend. That I just, I feel really blessed, and I'm very grateful to both you and Russell. I'm really grateful to meet you too. Pleasure meeting you. Yeah. So right. you guys, 
take care of yourselves. Thank you. you This has been another episode of Matters of the Heart and Soul podcast. We just got finished talking with my favorite, Mary Jo Rapini, on love and relationships. Stay tuned for our next episode. Thanks, Mary Jo. Thank you all. All Bye-bye.